Judy Gold and Sean Eli, welcome to another session of Coffee in the Clouds with comedian, comedians, comedian. Oh, we got we're, we're we only got two this time. We got a we got a VIP. Lots of airtime for Judy Gold. Judy, Sean's going to give you the the proper intro in a minute. But who are you and what do you do? What, what kind of what kind of question is that? That's why I told them I wanted to give you an intro. I, I want to do it. These, it's a yeah. conversation starter. It's a conversation starter. It is okay. not. It is not, Thomas. <laughs> calling you Thomas. Uh, I'm a comedian. Let me, let me give you the official intro All right, here. All right, yeah, Sean, you do it. I wrote it. I wrote it down. Go ahead, read it. Go ahead, read it off the cue card, John. Okay. All right. Uh, Judy Gold's a comedian who's had specials on HBO, Comedy Central, and Logo and also appeared on Colbert and The Tonight Show. And by on Colbert, we mean the TV show, not the person, I think. And she's written and starred in two off-Broadway shows and hosts a podcast, Kill Me Now, and is now the author of the new book, Yes, I Can Say That, When They Come for the Comedians, We're All in Trouble, that was released this July. So how's that for an intro? You know what, Sean? I never loved you more. You never loved me at all. Wait, Wait a minute. That Judy Gold. Oh, oh, I get it. Oh, okay. No, okay. I'll, I'll stick to my day job. This is why it's, you know, everyone is a comedian. It, it's amazing. <laughs> not, not. I know, I know. <laughs> it's a well, problem we have. People want to tell us jokes, which I right. do not understand. Yeah, it's in, it's in, I write about that in the book, that people say things to comedians that they would never say to any other artist. Well, it's weird. I actually, I've, I've been told I have a cousin who's a, a musician and he said people will come up to him after and say, well, let me show you how I would have played that. I'm like, uh, what is wrong with people? <laughs> really, it's, it's really annoying. I would have done this joke. You know what would have been funnier if, you know, my son's girlfriend's ex's dog walker does stand up. It's like, shut up. <laughs> Well, it's, it's sort of like somebody will say, well, you know, there was a guy walking a dog today and I saw he had five dogs and all of them were poodles. Maybe you can use that. Yeah, yeah, oh, maybe you can yeah, use that's, that's oh. the I got a good one for you. <laughs> oh, you know what? Spend five minutes with her. You got a whole new act. Shut up! <laughs> it's, it's like people say, you should come to my office. You get so much material. I'm like, yeah. If your office were that funny, you wouldn't need to come to a comedy show. Right. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Oh, you gotta see my. Uh, you know, everyone says I'm really funny and I should do stand up. No, you're not funny. You're an asshole, okay? I would just say go right ahead. I'll tell yeah. you where to find it over yeah, well, right I'll bring you up. I'll bring you up right now. Let's see how oh, you do. God, don't do that. I know. <laughs> All right, but so how did, you, how did you two okay. meet? Go ahead. I'm just gonna be a pass. I'm gonna be a passenger on this trip. You know, okay. How, how did you guys meet? <laughs> Sean wrote to me and asked me to do a show of his. You know, I've actually met her twice, but I think she's forgotten both times. No, I haven't. No, I haven't. No, you know why? Because you would have to look way down to see me. and then... That's, oh God, another. Now you're a hack, you know? <laughs> you're an Ivy League hack. Yeah, well. All right. Okay, well, Judy, the question I always ask, because I'm a hack too, is like, how'd you get into it? Was this destiny? Like, so, you know, what's great is that you do your research and I, that's what I love about you, that you really prepare for these. Um, no, I did it. I was a, a student at a non Ivy league school. Um, tell them which one Rutgers. I went to Rutgers. 
So did and he. You did? 30 minutes ago, we just did a podcast with the School of Business of Rutgers, which will be on our website in a minute. But I digress. Yeah. So, yeah. Really? Right, yeah, really? yeah. 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 My father went to Rutgers. My brother, my sister went to Douglas. My father got an MBA and a law degree there. Anyway. So, uh, you know, it was uh, it was a dare during Secret Santa's that uh, someone dared me to, to do a show on our on our lounge floor. And um, it was seriously, I took it so I, t- I really did take it seriously, but it was seriously an out of body experience of it was like an epiphany. It was like God was talking to me like this is what you're meant to do. And, and it was eight, 1981. So, um by the following year, 82, I mean, I was out in New York going to open mics and yeah. It, so you mean with no prep, it was just like a dare and it was like you, you winged it? It was, oh, I took two days to write, you know, uh, you, they said you have two days to uh, write material about everyone who lives on the floor. And I did oh. it and it was the most amazing. Cause you know, I always wanted to be a performer. I was a, actually a music major. But is but that how you got the black guy? You wrote material about people in college and pal? Hey now, now it's from a Trump supporter. Good night folks. Um, <laughs> did you get into a fight with Mitch McConnell? Cause he's pretty brutal. Yeah, he's really, did you see that photo on Twitter? There's a photo from uh, a, a physician and it's a close-up of his hands, and they're, it's they're, it's black really and black and blue, and you know, well, you get that, credit, you and, get that, and his face too. Well, the, the the hand you would get your hand all black and blue because you'd have it if you're in the hospital. Sometimes they put the IV into. Yeah, the yeah, hand. yeah. I I know, Sean. I'm a Jew, but um, I was talking you know, about. They no, but in both of his hands, um, his lip is bruised. I don't know. These people just get out. You're done. You're done. It's over. You know. Well, the the governor of Kentucky is a Democrat, so it's possible if something happens to McConnell, he gets replaced at least. That's good. I like that. I like Mm. that. I mean, if a woman looked like McConnell, how far would she get in politics? Go. (laughs) I mean, seriously. Only a man that looks like that would be successful. I just don't, uh, he's such a, ugh. Yeah, but we shouldn't be condemning society for letting a man who looks like that reach high office. We should be condemning society for letting a woman who doesn't, you know, look good reaching high office. Yeah, I know. I'm just saying that it's a double standard. Oh God, I can't. Go ahead, Tom, ask me more questions. So, okay, so after (laughs) after you had the epiphany on, on college campus, right? So, so all right. So I, th- what really ha- what happened after that was they did this thing called campus comedy. Um, and they would, th- it was Catch Rising Star, which was the club in the 80s and early 90s. Um, they had three comics from Catch Rising Star come and they would judge uh, some sort of contest. I won, of course. And uh, I got to do five minutes on their show. They had a show. Um, you know, a legitimate show in a, in a space uh, uh, on the campus. And um, it was Adrian Tolsch, Bill Sheft, and Larry Amaros. So Larry was the MC. Bill, I don't know if you know him. He's a really, an, a, he's an Ivy. And he's, a, you know, he was Letterman's head writer. Yeah. He's written a bunch of books. He's a brilliant, hilarious guy. And Adrian, his wife, God rest in peace, you know, 
she um she had the Monday nights at Catch a Rising Star where they would, it was open mic night where they would let new comics come on. So I did my five minutes and they told me, they said, you know what, you're really funny. And I mean, this was, I mean, that was my first. And that's unheard of to be right. good when you start. Yeah. So they said, you really have something. And Adrian was like, come to Catch a Rising Star. I do the Monday nights. Of course, I think I'm going to go in, go right on and be on the Tonight Show the following week. And I would go in every Monday and hang out. I mean, I barely, I don't think I ever got on, um, maybe for five minutes at two in the morning. Um, but it, you know, it was a time, the 80s was a time, it was a comedy boom. Uh, and you could get so much stage time. That was what was so, I, I came up in a time where every, every restaurant, I could do sets you know, at six in the afternoon for happy hour down on Wall Street, you know. Um, so when I, gra after I graduated, I moved to New York and, you know, I wanted, I, I did audition for uh, graduate school in theater and I was told I was too tall and I wouldn't, it was Bill Esper at Mason Grove School of the Arts said, you're very talented and you're, you have great comedic timing, but you're too tall. How do you expect me to cast you? Hmm. And of course, my Jewish mother, he'll, he'll get his someday. You know what? You'll show him. And then um, I, I really doing, you know, doing stand-up in the 80s was my graduate school. I mean, I was, at, I did so, I got so much stage time, which is unheard of today. You know, today you have to get a bunch of friends. You have to guarantee a certain amount of people are going to show up. But um, I came up with some amazing people, John Stewart, um, uh, uh, what's his name, Ray Romano, who else was in my little class? Um, uh, Wanda, um, Susie Essman and Joy Behar had already been established, but they, I really loved watching them. They really taught me a lot, um, but it was amazing. I, I mean, I, when I would hang out at the clubs and get on last, um, I got to see some incredible performers working out their material. Um, well, you still can now. The great thing yeah. is going to a club, and, well, not now, but you go but to a these club shows, are. Right, but they went, they started at eight and they went till two or three in the morning. And it was, um, and you know what the other thing was? And this, I think, is a sad uh, situation now. The MCs of the shows were the stars of the show. Mm. And so, you know, Belzer would, uh, Richard Belzer would, would MC a lot of times. Yeah. It, yeah. And you would go at, to the show to see Belzer's show. It was like, he, he was the knight and he would bring on his guests. And, you know, the MC, it's such an important role in a comedy show. And yet it's, you know, the least experienced comic is usually the MC because in the, U in the U S the rest of the world has this right. Right. Uh, and the comedy seller does actually use great MCs, but yeah, it, it's, uh, it's shifted. Um, and you know, look at us. We're not, we're not the finest or most intelligent group of people here when, in this when you were when you were told that you have good you know comedic timing what does that really mean to the layperson what how, how what is explain what does that really mean you know comedy is very musical um a syllable can screw up a joke too long of a pause 
can screw up a joke. A word that you used five minutes ago, if you repeat it five minutes later, can screw up a joke. Um, it, you know, when you're on stage and there's an audience pre-pandemic, you get into a rhythm, you, you, you feel them out. So you'll do your first joke, you hear how they laugh. Then you, you have to make a decision. When am I gonna start the next bit? Am I gonna do the tag? you know, of that bit, or am I gonna move on to a new topic? So you, you get, it's, it really is very rhythmic and it's like, you're the conductor. Um, and, you know, you see, I mean, if you went online and looked at um, auditions of people who maybe have great jokes, but terrible timing. I mean, it is, it's all in the way that you tell it. You could sit at your computer all day long and write brilliant material. But if you don't know how to get on stage and deliver that joke, it's, it's just on paper. It's just right on paper. But can you teach that? Can no. you go? No. I, don't I know. think that, I think that's the one thing you cannot teach. You may not be able to teach it, but you can get better at it with practice. Yeah. Yeah. It I works. mean, the only way to be a comedian this is getting on stage the only way to be a great comedian is to get on stage you can be a great joke writer but it doesn't mean you're a great comedian i mean i say comedy is one-third writing one-third performing and one-third marketing and you got to be good at at least two yeah the marketing part i hate you know that's why gaffigan is so successful he has a marketing degree and um he's also hilarious but he made a decision um to i'm going to be a clean white bread comic, you know, uh, which is now going down the shitter because he, he couldn't, he couldn't handle it anymore. But, you know, he used to open for me when he started and, um, he was filthy. He was, you know, and then he really is a, he, you know, he definitely used that marketing degree. Well, it, I mean, it works well. People, there's a perennial debate in comedy about clean versus dirty. And my answer, cause I'm a pretty clean comic is whatever works for you. If you make people right. laugh, you make people laugh. That I agree. You know, and some people will say that I'm dirty and I don't tell dirty jokes. No, I just curse. curse like, like I crazy. curse. I know. I, I, and I, I've always done that since I'm a little kid. My mother's like, what is wrong with you? But I've always, and if you look up uh, studies that are done that people who curse a lot are highly intelligent. Um, but yeah, who I do. Who said that? Fuck you, Sean, you fucking cocksucker. Right, um, smarter than I am. So, <laughs> but, yeah, also, but, but also technically inaccurate. Yeah. Oh, all right. Yeah. I thought you and Tom were. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> Tom is so, way. So, so let me ask you this question. If you had to uh, pick a venue, they'd say, oh my God, that's perfect. Like, that is the perfect, perfect venue for comedy. What is it? Describe to me the room and, and where you are, where it's like optimal for, for your comedy. Okay. Uh, a small room, an intimate room. Um, no phones allowed. No cell phones allowed. Um, I mean, I love theaters. I mean, I love doing legitimate theaters because, you know, people say, what is the difference between, you know, theater, doing theater and doing stand up? And 
the difference is when you're in a stand-up club, when you're in a club, uh, which is usually, you know, we're, we're below strippers, I think on the <laughs> totem pole, but it, it's filthy. It's usually filthy. There's blenders going off, you know, there's the check spot, which is the worst spot on the show where they drop the check. And from that point on, you've got about five to eight minutes of no one oh paying gosh. attention um, right. or, and if they're Jewish, make that 12 minutes. Like I had that, <laughs> you know, I, I didn't drink, I'm not paying for it, you know? And um, so in theaters, you know, uh, they come, you, you, I feel like in a, in a comedy club, you have to get their attention. In a theater, you have to keep their attention. Ah, um, they're ready to listen. They, they are treated like human beings. They're in a sort of classy environment. Uh, but in a comedy club, you're fighting. You're fighting people. I mean, let's just take the comedy cellar, which is a perfect room. It is. It's tiny. Um, it's intimate. The stage is right there. The audience feels like they're part of the show. The, it's, you know, there's unity. Um, people feel like they're in a group. But that's where the bathroom is for the restaurant. Yeah, um, I was about to say, except for the yeah. bathroom, because they have a restaurant upstairs and you got to walk down the steps. And so you're, right, so you're on stage in this small, intimate room. And when the audience, when you have them, it's like, it, it really is just so in the palm of your hand. It's just such a great feeling. And then you see, you know, someone come down from the restaurant and walk across um, into the bathroom and then walk back and then go back up. So that... That is, but if I was going to pick a room, I would have the bar be in a different room. You know, a lot of times the bar is in the back of the room. You can hear the blender going off. You can hear them ordering drinks, you know. Uh, but I, I like small, intimate rooms. Okay. Have you traveled? You know, we had Noam Dwarman, who owns the Comedy Cellar, on a couple of weeks ago. And we talked about the fact that he, he's got the one club in New York where they drop the checks on the tables after the show. Right. And I asked him why, what do you do differently? And he said, we just care and nobody else cares. Right. But I forgot to ask him with all your zillions, why don't you build another bathroom upstairs? I know, right? right? I know, I know it's true, but it's true. They do care. Uh, and they do make you put your phone in. They make the audience put the phone. I have to tell you, um, they had implemented this policy of, of you have a uh, packet. You have to shove your phone in and, and seal it. Um, and I had been away and I've been on the road and I came back and I was doing, they have three rooms there. So that I was doing it in the uh, fat black pussycat. I was doing an hour, which is a tiny little room. They have sofas, you know, not the best for stand up. Um, and I'm doing an hour and I'm about 20 minutes in and I'm, I'm like, this is, this is great. I'm thinking in my head, oh my God, I'm having so much fun. This is so great. And I realized their phones were in pack. It was the first time. And I, I almost started crying. It was like <laughs> the old days when people were there to see the show and not, oh, I didn't like that joke. Let me look at my phone. Let me check my, my yeah. Facebook, you know? Um, it was real. It's, it's when you're on stage and I've done Broadway theaters and I've done off-Broadway theaters. If you're on stage and someone takes out a phone, that light is, that's all you see from that. It could be in the back row. You see the light emanating from the phone and it is so distracting. 
Hmm. We're, we're uh, human nature. We're attracted to things that are different. If right. something stands out or there's motion, we look at it. Right. I have to say, when I do shows in theaters, I MC theater shows. And one of the things I say is, I, when people say turn off your cell phone, everybody ignores it because nobody right. actually turns off their cell phone. So right. what I say is, please silence and put away your cell phone. And then I pause for a few seconds and I say, I mean, like right now. And I pause for a few more seconds and you can see all the people taking out their phones and silencing right. them, putting them away. And that works pretty well. But I call them out. I call them out now. I'm like, wait a minute. Who are you talking to? <laughs> what the fuck is so important? And it's always like, I did a gig at a snotty country club a few months ago. And I'm, what, I, I'm like, in the front row. Oh, what is oh, it's our kid. You know what? I was a kid. I, I didn't call my mother when my parents were out. Like, who cares? Um, it's just, it's so rude. I mean, if you were in a business meeting and you took out a fucking phone while the person was like pitching you something or discussing some sort of thing, it's the rudest thing in the entire world. You've never worked with Israelis because they do that. And they oh, I have. I have. And, and they I went, say it's not considered rude. I'm like, you're in America now. There's a lot of things that are Israeli and rude. Yeah. But I, I've said to people from, from stage, could you, hey, you in the third row, can you tell me your phone number so I can call you and tell you to shut the fuck up? <laughs> I love that. That's good. That's good. When I don't I, know if I would say fuck, but. When I first it. met Sean, when I first met Sean, it seemed like the the improv movement was like hot or it was really hot or whatever, especially for corporate. Like, and and this whole concept of, you know, you know, corporations or public speaking, or they were trying to make the transition. Like, you know, your company should send your people to go and take comedy classes and learn improv, etc. What What's your feeling? What are your thoughts on on improv as as a uh, as a type of uh, comedy? You know, improv is so much different than stand up. And I have worked with corporations. I've punched up uh, uh, people's speeches um, or presentations. I've coached people through the presentation so they're not fucking boring. <laughs> um, and, you know, improv is about listening and um, you always have to say yes. You have to take whatever the situation is. So if, if you take a suggestion from the audience, okay, it, it, uh, it's raining, you're in church, and uh, uh, the rain is dripping through the ceiling. So if you start that improv um, where the guy comes out and is like, oh, wow, it's raining and, and the water's, and, and you say, no, it's not. That's the end of the, <laughs> which is why I'm so bad at improv. Um, but I think that any way you can, you know, loosen someone up take them at, because when you're in a play, right? When you're, and you've learned all your lines, and of course the worst dream you have, the anxiety dream is you're on stage and you forgot your lines. But when you're, uh, or even as a musician, when you learn a piece, if you start thinking about it um, while you're doing it, and you will forget, you know? Um, so what you have to do is you have to teach people to trust you did the work. Now let it go. Now you can be yourself. Um, 
And I think that improv is about letting go and just going with the flow. So I think it does help. Um, but I find it annoying sometimes. You know? So I, when I first met Sean, I said, whether it was true or not, I said, look, it's my opinion that comedians are highly intelligent. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. And I was not being a smart. I was like, cause I, I felt like from a behavioral science standpoint, and some people say I'm wrong and some people say I'm right. No, you so have, I'm asking you. You have to be smart. You're taking something and you're taking and you're looking at it from a completely different perspective. A joke is a surprise. You're it's also a buildup of attention and a release. And oftentimes, you know, let's let's did you watch Bill Burr on SNL? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I had so many people write to me because of my book, you know, and someone actually wrote to me, you know, I would have been furious, but I read your book and I got what he was doing, you know, and take his, you know, George Carlin said a comedian, I think I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but a comedian, uh, a comedian's job is to go over the edge and make you glad that they did. Mm. And you know, take a bar or a bat mitzvah, okay? Th- this is why I think there's so many Jewish communities. You take a, a piece of the, Talmud, uh, the Torah and that's been, you know, around for thousands of years. People have discussed it ad nauseum, uh, interpreted it ad nauseum. They're like, here, you make it your own. You take this little piece and talk about how it, it is... It, it, it is a part of your life and what story you learn from. And that's what a joke is. You're taking something that is universal and communicating it in a way that no one saw coming. Um, but it also, it's a tool. It's a, it's a unifier. It's a weapon too. And that's why I think people, and we end, we speak truth to power, which is why it's such a, people are so threatened by it. But I do think you have to be smart. You're taking something. There's so many times, Sean, you know, where you're like, I know there's something in there. I got to figure out what, is this the funny one? Is, or is this funny? You know, it's, yeah, you it gotta, really, it's, a, it's formulaic in a way. Um, well, Frank Vignola, who taught one of the comedy classes I took, and I'm sure you know Frank. I love Frank, yeah. Yeah, Frank said, he plays a game he calls 10 punchlines where you have a premise and you have a punchline and the punchline isn't good enough. So he said, think of another punchline based on that premise. And the problem is that the, the first punchline is the obvious one that everybody comes up with and everybody's thinking. When you get to the 10th, as you're working on this, it may take a long time, the 10th one is the truly brilliant and original. It doesn't have to be 10th, but the idea is you keep coming up with new ways to look at something until you find something that's truly brilliant. Right, and, and oftentimes, you do that on stage, you know, you'll take something, you'll have an idea on stage. And uh, this is where letting go comes in. And you, you do the joke and then something pops and you say something else. Uh, you could do a joke uh, uh, 150 times and all of a sudden a tagline comes out of your mouth, like it, it, out of nowhere. And that becomes a part of the joke. And this is how bits are, you know, they become bits. So, um, you start with a joke or an idea and it just grows and grows and grows. Uh, and we do that in front of an audience uh, and then get vilified because um, 
you they got insulted or didn't think it was funny or sometimes you come up usually at least with me it happens when things are going really well the audience is laughing at everything so you keep throwing more stuff at them right. and see what works and yeah if something doesn't work then the audience is like well that's not funny and like hey right. i'm working on it yeah exactly now if you, if you go to a concert and your favorite singer does a new song and you don't like it you don't then say that person should never write another song i hate them i am done you know, but that's that's why I had to write my book because it's it is beyond ridiculous that we are um, holding comedians to this higher standard and and satire is well is part of our culture. How much but, of your book is about free speech and how much of it, and how much of it is about your mother? Hold the book up so I can see it on the camera. It's all about free speech, all of it. Um, I there's not a lot about my mother. There's nothing. It really is a polemic about um about censorship and free speech yes i can say that when they come for the comedians we're all in trouble and i'm telling you the greatest part of writing this book even though it was torture and i did a lot of research was that i, I each chapter is sort of an argument of a, a, a part of the greater polemic of the book and my evidence is great comedy so I get to use jokes to prove my point. And I think, you know, that's, and I think you really do learn about, about censorship and why we're at this point where um, everyone thinks their voice is valid. You know, people, this idea, I read, I don't know if you read um, Coddling of the American Mind and, you know, this idea that, uh, you know, everyone gets a trophy. You win a trophy for, for winning the race and breaking the record, and you win a trophy for smiling while he did it. And th this is where everyone thinks, oh my God, I, it hurt my feelings. That person should never be, oh, I heard a word that triggered me. Yep, that, let's cancel them. And, you know, we've gotten to this point where we're banning words, we're banning ideas. This is not good. Well, I, I realize a lot of times when somebody doesn't like a joke, it's because they misinterpret what you're making fun right. of. Right. So, so when you, yeah, I mean, I would use the, the extreme example. If you have a joke where the topic is rape, which is the worst, just about the worst thing in the world, maybe genocide's worse, but, um, and the joke, somebody objects because the topic offends them, but the you're topic. not, but you're making fun of a rapist. You're not making fun of the victim, but they don't right. care. So it's about intent, context and nuance. Um, which you don't have in a tweet, which is why people get in trouble for their tweets. But uh, when you take the intent of the comedian and say, oh, I heard the word rape, I'm not listening to the rest, um, you're doing yourself a disservice. And you know, if someone murders someone and goes on trial for murder, their sentence is based on their intent. And yet you take that mm. out of the equation of a comedian and you're not even listening. You're not even listening to the full idea. You know, there's plenty of jokes I do where people are, Ugh! and I'm like, no, that's not what it's about. People think everything's about them. Let me tell you something. If you're insulted by a joke, the comedian was not thinking about you when they wrote the joke. And if you go to a comedy club and get upset that you're offended, that is like going on a roller coaster and being upset that you got scared. It is ridiculous. Well, what if it's just an offensive joke? I mean, to, from my interpretation, and I'm actually a pretty sensitive person when it comes to this. If somebody makes a joke about 
racism, but the joke is not a racist joke. It's not about racism. It's not making fun of a stereotype. It's just perpetuating a stereotype. To me, that offends me because it's so, just I, I have a whole joke, a whole chapter about stereotypes in the book and about that they didn't come out of out of nowhere. You know, they're really part, they are, they tell the story of, of our ancestry, um, essentially. And if you're gonna use a stereotype, it better be for a good reason. It better be to describe a specific person. Um, it, you know, it's, it, it's, you know, if, I, if I'm doing a joke about my Jewish mother uh, and I am just imitating her, which has happened to me, where people have complained. I'm really just doing my mother and she is, has stereotypical uh, things about her. But that doesn't mean that I am, uh, I am denigrating all Jewish mothers. I'm talking specifically about my mother. I, I think you can joke about any topic, but you have to make it funny. That's the key. It's got to be a good job. If you're going to speak about something subversive and edgy and uh, uncomfortable, you got to make it funny. And and that's you know this gratuitous use of like of racial epithets and just being lazy. That doesn't cut it, and it it hurts it for hurts for both of us. The only time the only thing I think is off limits is when the audience is laughing for the wrong reason. Right. Because that's what I mean. You perpetuate a stereotype and the audience is laughing because the, the comedian who's an authority figure in the situation because he or she is on stage with the microphone and the sound system is perpetuating a stereotype. And they're like, see, he believes it. So I shouldn't feel bad for being a racist. Right, but if you if they're a good comedian and listen to the whole joke, you realize the stereotype was just a tool uh to, to make the person's point, you know? It's it's not always people don't don't use stereotypes. Um oh, great comics don't use stereotypes. I was gonna say, you know, yeah. good comic, but I've seen plenty of bad comics. Yeah, right. You know, it's just for a stereotype. And it screws it up for us. It screws it up for the person who comes on after them. Well, I have a joke where I use the N-word, and the the reason I use the N-word in the joke is because I was called that by somebody and I'm telling the story of a black person calling me that and it was his way of just you know welcoming me to the group right but when I use the word and I'm so uncomfortable telling the using that word that that gets a laugh because they can see that I'm physically uncomfortable right something somebody else said I, yeah, I, 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 talk about, I talk about that word in the book and I you know it's at the point now you can't even say the word is the worst word in the English language. You can't even say that. You can't even utter it. Uh, and I get it. I get it. Um, so I don't. But yeah, uh, it, it's, yeah, it's, it's well, really... in, your book, in your book, you use the example of the C word, which is probably the worst word in the English language. And you use the example. I love that word. <laughs> well, I, I don't use it. It's Not funny. because. <laughs> I was in South Africa. It was the first country outside of the U.S. I was performing. And people use the word and they use it in a conversation. They use it on stage. And when I'd say to a comic, if you go to America, don't use that word on stage. And they'd say, mm -hmm. why? Because it really is about the equivalent level of offensiveness of bastard in a lot of countries. Whereas right. in the U.S., it's the most offensive word. Mm. How long did it take for the book to go from, I got to write this book, to actually having the, the book? How 
How long? Well, I, I was asked to write it because I was on a piece on Vice News uh, about uh, college bookers telling booking comedians and then telling them what they could and could not say uh, on stage. And they said, would you be the opposing viewpoint? And I said, sure. And it kind of went viral. And Ricky Gervais really loved the piece. And uh, an editor from HarperCollins hmm. asked me to write this book. Uh, and it took a year. It really, wow. you know, they wanted it in like four months. But I really needed to... I, I, you know, I had to do my due diligence and, and I love stand up so much. I, I really do. I, I, and I think it's such an American, uh, it's part of our, it's such a right. part of our culture, you know, that, you know, I think about Bob Hope going in 39 saying, Hey, let's get a bunch of comedians and, and other performers and go visit these troops who are overseas to make them feel good, to make them, uh, you know, less homesick. I mean, what other country sends comedians to the military to make them feel better? Mm -hmm. It's it's part of who we are. And when you start silencing us and getting offended about everything we say, you know, you're it's not it's the end of free speech. Well, Israel does the opposite. They take comedians, they give them machine guns and send them into battle. Right. Well, we guys, we, we could be going forever. This was time flew. This was the fastest 40 minutes I've, I've, I've seen in a while. We're going to have links to your website, links to your book. We're going to make it oh, really I love easy you. For, for, for people to find it. I'm thinking your book belongs to the school of business, but we're going to have another conversation about this. I would love it. And I want that dog. What's the dog's name? Mandy. Oh, Mandy. Hi, Mandy. Straight, straight from central casting. Yeah. I love you, Mandy. And I, what game is that? What? That's a lab, Labrador. No, no, what game? game. Oh, ice game. cold beer. You're gonna have to Google ice cold beer later. Right. Said. It's the coolest, right. coolest thing. Okay. Judy Gold. This was another session of Coffee in the Clouds with comedians. With comedians. Take care, everybody. See ya. See ya, Sean. So long. Bye bye. That was good.